I had a lot of college debt and was able to, thanks to a good old Dave Ramsey, I was able <laughs> to read a lot of his books and figure out ways I could get that debt snowball, you know, paid off quickly. So by the time I came to Japan, I was actually debt free, which was pretty cool. Welcome to the Expat Fire Club, where we interview seekers of financial independence living outside of their home countries and the people that can help them achieve their goals. He's originally from the States, but we've got Andrew Gibbler. So Andrew, welcome. Welcome to the podcast here. All right. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Yes. Thanks, Daniel. For sure. Well, yeah. So let's let's kind of talk for just a little bit here about if you can give us a little background about yourself here, Andrew, like where you're from and how you got from the States to Japan. Sure. Yeah. So just to clarify this, what, today's podcast, this is the the Japan fight. What's the name of the podcast again? Expat Fire Club. Expat Fire. It sounds so cool. You guys, I, I can't wait to see what kind of crazy flaming logo you come up with. Oh, we got a good one. But yes, I'm really excited as I heard about Daniel John's podcast just getting started. Sure, getting into a little small intro. I lived in the U.S. in the Kansas City area. And when I was 25 years old, I was working for a baseball stadium. And I was actually working for the Kansas City Royals. Woo! And unlike most people, I was postponing. Well, maybe maybe like most people, I was postponing getting a, a responsible real job. My degree was in education. I was going to be a teacher, teach math. And I was working for a baseball stadium as a mascot. So oh, wow. uh, it was just a part-time thing. But uh, I did have a previous full-time position for a minor league team before. did a lot of stuff in sports as a mascot in relation to like kids, you know, kids clubs, community events, things like that. And so I was like, wow, maybe, maybe this is something I could pursue, but I was just doing it part-time. And that's when Japan, boom, slammed the sushi hammer down. And I was able to get a job offer to come out and work for a baseball team here in Hiroshima. Oh, so okay. that's what brought me to Japan. And I got me started in this wonderful Asian journey I've been on. So 12 did, years. Did you have a, con oh, okay. Did you have a connection with Japan beforehand? I mean, was, was that on your radar? Did you speak Japanese or? Oh no, did not speak Japanese. I played a little Nintendo and I was in judo when I was 12, but <laughs> other than that, not much of a Japan connection. You know, I heard about people going overseas and teaching in Japan and Korea and thought it was a cool con. I never looked into it myself. And one day just from a friend, who heard about the job, who is also a mascot. He said, hey, yeah. it was a one-sentence email. It said, do you you want to eat sushi more often and check out this opening in Japan? And that that's where it all started. So is that so, the Hiroshima Carp? Is that right? Oh, the Carps. That's correct, yes. I worked for the Hiroshima Carp uh, for about six years. So started off just for the first two years doing the, the character itself, which is just kind of a kind of a monster carp? not uh yeah <laughs> it's not a big giant carp fish that would be uh, that'd be uh i have to be, have a lot of confidence to do that but uh, no it was just kind of like a monster thing and then after that in order to stay at the company they're like well if your japanese gets better we could consider it and uh, they didn't pressure me or anything but i was like oh i'm gonna do this so i used that as an opportunity to learn japanese really hardcore worked in the merch department and eventually was an interpreter for some of the players. So it was a really cool experience. Oh, that's great. And what about, you know, since we're we're kind of a financial podcast, like can you tell us a little bit about your financial journey, like where you you were in these sort of steps? Were you investing, were you saving, and maybe what you're you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, Financial education in the States and in Japan is it's not like uh, the first thing that comes up in, in school or in the workplace, I feel like. And back when I was in the States, you know, I heard about investing a little bit through friends, but it was more like uh, probably the Wall Street bets version back when you're in like, uh -huh. you know, just out of high school where it's like, hey, I, I put $50 in Nextel or, you know, whatever was popular at the time. So I did start like an E-Trade account, but just 
you know, I probably put a few dollars here and there in like eBay and like some small companies. And when I saw them, you know, go down a couple of dollars, it was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> it freaked me out at a young age. And then coming to Japan again, up till that point, not, I, I was, a, I was a good saver. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of college debt and was able to Thanks to uh, good old Dave Ramsey, I was able to uh, read a lot of his books and figure out ways I could get that debt snowball, you know, paid off quickly. So by the time I came to Japan, I was actually debt free, which was pretty cool. Oh, that's, um, that's awesome, man. So with the Dave Ramsey approach, if any of our listeners aren't familiar with it, he's got a, a podcast and also one of his books. I'm trying to think of the total money makeover. I want to. That's right. Say. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a really popular one, especially with people who have debt and they're trying to get out of debt. So, so Andrew, did you, in reading that book, I'm I'm curious to find out, did you take it all the way through the through the baby steps and like actually cut up your credit cards and <laughs> go go full uh, Dave Ramsey on us? I didn't <laughs> cut up my credit cards in front of the camera or in private, but no, I did go through the first. It's hard to remember each step, but I think the first three steps where you get the emergency fund, mm -hmm. you kill most of the debt besides the mortgage, which I didn't have, and then start that savings account for about three to six months of uh -huh. emergency fund. And then after that, it was where things got a little gray because that's about the time I was coming to Japan. Mm -hmm. And when you come to Japan, you don't know Japanese. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll worry about that later. I'll come back to America and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. <laughs> so when you when you came to Japan, I mean, that, I think most of our listeners, you know, it's the focus here is on expats and their finances. So what were some of the issues maybe that you got into when you came to Japan about like, say, setting up accounts? Like, were you able to set up a bank account, get a credit card? Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yes. I was able to set up a bank account through my workplace. It was a long process in order to set up a bank account. You have to have a phone and a phone number. And in order to have a phone number, you have to have a foreign ID card. So it was like a two-month process, I feel like, before yeah. I finally got paid. But eventually, yes, you got the bank. And then the credit card probably wasn't until my second or third year. But I didn't have any problems applying. I did have a friend help me uh, get it all worked out. At uh, I just got a normal Rock 10 card. But no, I didn't. I, I didn't ask and I wasn't told about ways to prepare for retirement. I did, you know, say something to a coworker. Do you guys have a 401k type of plan? And they they were clueless. And, yeah. you know, trying to invest in some kind of IRA here in Japan, I, I didn't understand how it worked. And no one was able to really give me some good information. And I wasn't going to just walk into a bank or an investment firm and just try to figure it out. So... Did you keep your American banks or investment accounts open when you came here? Or did you close all those up when you moved? When I came here, I fortunately had still had a bank account and investment account open. Yeah. So that is a good piece of advice for anyone who might be coming to Japan is don't don't close up shop. <laughs> yeah. I That's what I did. Oh, you so did? I, okay. yeah, I shut everything down and didn't realize uh -huh. And I came out to Japan. And then later on, when I started learning about personal finance, of yeah. course, it was very difficult to open bank accounts back up. It was hard to, I didn't have a credit card. So I had to go through that process to build credit. So yeah, it was definitely a good piece of advice not to not to close up shop. Yeah. So Andrew, did you have to keep using like your, your folks account or, or not your account, but address and things like that to, to keep your... Your account's open? That's correct. Uh, mm -hmm. I never did change them over. Mm -hmm. And I have never had... And I, this is still something that I'm figuring out little by little, but I never have... I, I thought I would have to change my address. Mm -hmm. And yeah. people say, oh, be careful. You know, at some point, they might want you to change your address or ask you to close your account. But up to this point, I haven't had any issues. And I even started a new investment account a few years back when I was home just for a month, but I didn't have to go into the institution. I was able to do it all through, you know, the online and or through the app store or whatever. But at that time I was able to use, you know, like a home phone or I can't remember if it was a home phone or my, like my mother's cell phone, but I mm -hmm. did do that. And I was afraid at that time, like 
something bad could happen as well. But they, again, this is something I, I am not recommending, but I, that is something that I did. Yeah. So for any of our listeners, and if you're an American, you really have to understand that we have to go through, we have to jump through these hoops to not only open an account, but also maintain these accounts because Daniel, maybe you could explain some of these things here, but the, yeah. the, the rules behind investing in, in overseas, uh, we have to report back to the IRS and it's, it can be a little bit of a pain here. Yeah, we have we have the reporting. We're one of the only countries in the world. I think the other one is it Mauritius is the mm -hmm. only other country in the world where you have to continue to file your taxes back in the US. So, you know, that reporting becomes an issue. A lot of local institutions don't want to deal with it because of the Patriot Act. Right. And there's all these reporting from, you know, the Japanese institutions. But then in the US, they need to make sure that you maintain an address in the US. I, one thing I will add is I've talked to several financial advisors, as well as one of my business partners, who's a commercial lender. And all of them have said, you know, there's nothing illegal or, or, or whatever by maintaining a U.S. address, like, you know, keeping your driver's license right. and using like an address in the U.S., even if you're living in Japan. It's just a reporting rule for them. So kind of the worst mm -hmm. thing that can happen is that they're going to shut down your account if they say, well, you're living outside of the U.S. will have to shut it down. But, you know, obviously this is not legal advice. You got to check sure. that out on your own. But yeah, I mean, that is definitely one technique to do it is to keep your 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 residency in the U.S. One thing I do is I have my license as well as I pay bills at my mom's house and I do a couple of other things to keep that residency. So that's one option. And, you know, the other one is there's some institutions that allow you to have your Japanese address. I think yeah. there's a third country also that makes you do the same oh, yeah. reporting back. I, I, jokes jokes aside, I think it's North. I think North Korea is also North Korea maybe on that list. <laughs> yeah, but I it's assume not... if you don't want to report back, right? Yeah. You probably aren't having a high success rate with the people that leave North Korea. To... Yeah, but uh, but yeah. That were, were you aware tough. of having to continue to file taxes? Because I wasn't. I ended up. I was here four or five years before I I knew what was going on, and I had to file all the back taxes. How about you? My mother, bless her heart, who is a good role model in my life, she <laughs> told me that I had to do it. And it was, I was like, why? I'm over here. I'm, I don't understand. And she told me I had to do it. And I saw some of my friends not doing it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, surely this is just a mom thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, I, I kept doing it. And I didn't look into it too much until probably a couple of years back into why is important and like how you could be penalized and mm -hmm. uh, and just you know how not being able to invest in foreign accounts which is a different subject but yeah i did not know a lot of these things until probably just a yeah. few years ago yeah i was surprised to find it's actually in your passport so i think if it's if you look really? at the last page of your passport is a line that says no matter where you live as a u.s citizen you must continue to file taxes wow. and <laughs> And I was like, wow, it's, it's actually keep. in the passport. So <laughs> definitely something to keep in the back of your mind here if you ever go overseas or move yeah. overseas right there. And, and I, I was in the same boat I, with, with you guys. I just, I, I didn't file for a long time. And then I was able to file, I think it was like three years. Okay. You could just do like one lump and then get it over with. And so now every year I, I keep it up, of course. Yeah. But yeah, anybody that's listening, <laughs> definitely want to make sure that you keep that up to date here. So but sorry, Andrew, did you did you have uh, you you mentioned that you'd started early on, like investing? I think you said like a, an E Trade account or some kind of online account here. Yes. Uh, what was that? What was that like for you when when you first got started? Were you? you know, I know you said you read into like the Dave Ramsey book, and mm -hmm. did you have any other books or podcasts or people that you were following that you were like, okay, cool, I I should definitely invest in this, or was it? Well, can can you tell us about like that that first? kind of experience with getting into investing here? Sure. I mean, this is, we're talking like 14, 15 years yeah. ago, but before it was easy. Not that it, it wasn't easy then, but you know, you, you had to make an E-Trade account. Every time you made a trade, you were charged credible amount. I can't remember if it was nine, 10, 11, $12, but you, every transaction you made cost money. And uh, so, you know, the I bought like a handful, maybe six different stocks and I probably only spent a total of two or $300. And I just didn't know, I, I there was no, I, I love Dev Ramsey's approach to helping get rid of debt. 
and mm. he explains you know enough information and it's, it's just a small section in, in his book about how to you know get started in in safe financial investing and how to do that and he has more information in other books but at the time in the total money makeover i believe if i'm not mistaken that it, it didn't it didn't prepare me enough i guess if someone told me hey just put some money in index funds for you know every month for the next 15 years i'd be really yeah. happy today but instead i i you know i threw some money in a few different individual stocks i watched them go up and down like stocks do and they're probably worth 10 times more than they were at the time today but i you know i just was in them for a couple months sold and got out of them with a, probably a small loss or broke even yeah. and so yeah i didn't touch stocks for a good six years or so after that and fast forward coming to japan uh, i had some friends and family members that were investing back in 2010 and 2011 as some of the commodities were going up, gold and silver was going up, and they're like, hey, you got to get into this. And I, I just, I don't understand anything about how investments work at the time. And I'm like, yeah, okay, this is good. I see they're they're making a lot of money. Why don't I put a good chunk of my savings account? You know, I'm I'm saving money. I'm not in debt. Mm -hmm. I'm single. What's what's the loss? You know, and I rode. You know, I put them in some leverage accounts that they recommended, so oh. like three times accounts for gold wow. and silver. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was scary. But there was a time, you know, after doing this for like a couple months, where it's just like, oh my goodness, this is like a second income, or like this is uh -huh. this is really good. And then they they all crashed. <laughs> wow. And uh, I I don't want to pull up the chart right now to save some face, but they they <laughs> went below what I started. And obviously, as I saw, it was more successful. I would add more. And mm -hmm. so I, I lost a decent amount of money. It wasn't like life changing or, you know, but it, it set me back to go, okay, wait a sec. Maybe I'm doing this wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are more experienced people doing this for a reason. And I'm just, you know, jumping on the bandwagon here. And I'm one of the people that's helping make other people rich. <laughs> so Andrew, did that kind of scare you out of investing after seeing your your gold or silver, whatever you're in, you're you were investing in with those 3x leveraged account yeah. or ETFs? 100. <laughs> so you were just like, all right, I'm done. And I was getting married like six to nine months after this crash. I just we just planned on getting married, and I met someone in Hiroshima. And we are still married today. This is not a good way to start a marriage. And so it love, we're going to have to live off love. So, but no, I mean, I came clean with, I, I told her I was doing it at the time, but she didn't care. Of course, she wasn't yeah. interested. And then when it did happen, I was like, hey, I want to be on the same page with you financially. This is something that happened. You know, it's not life changing, but we need to, you know, start this journey off right together. She, you know, had a family that was very you know, the, the image, as listeners may around know, the image of investing in Japan is very dirty. It's very like mafia, like loan shark kind of dirty image because they're big savers in Japan, but they aren't really prepare for retirement type people. And so, yeah, she wasn't very on board as far as like even starting up a simple retirement account. And I got freaked out. So we took about four or five years off before we started up her NISA NISA account, uh -huh. which maybe one of you could explain it. What is that then? Nippon Individual Savings Account? I yeah. Think. Similar to a Roth in mm -hmm. the United States where you're doing after-tax money, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to, you can withdraw it. You have certain periods. There's a five-year and then there's a 20-year. Is that right? That's right. And then you can pull it out tax-free at that time. Is that right. correct? Yeah. Yes. Ethan uh, General NISA is the five-year one that it, it has lots of different funds probably over 100 funds you can choose from and then the, the sumetate which is basically your monthly increments type i mean you can do monthly contributions to both but that one is the 20-year one and i think it's up to about four hundred thousand like, for 20 years yeah so it's about four thousand dollars like four hundred thousand uh, yeah. yen would be yeah. roughly four thousand u.s dollars yeah. That's correct. We're like so we, 3500 right now. Yeah, it's changed yeah, quite yeah. a bit. So we did that one. We did the the monthly 4000 uh -huh. year one a couple of years back and So was, can you explain like sort of your your investment philosophy now? So what have you come to? Like what are you doing? You're doing the niece. 
are you doing anything in the U.S.? You know, just kind of give us an overview. Well, I didn't know I couldn't do investments overseas a couple of years ago. And I started my own NISA with her. And oh, okay. that was, again, so if anyone's listening, like if you're American, maybe, I don't know, do your research, but it might not be a great idea to start this NISA because America does not really like us investing overseas. It's a bigger conversation than that. But yeah, my wife is Japanese. So she was able to open the NISA account easily. And we started just with that. And then from then on, yes, I slow. One of the difficulties is I'm doing it in my American account. Mm -hmm. So in order to invest in the American account, you have to have money in your American bank account. Yeah. And my salary comes into my Japanese bank account. So every once in a while, you know, you wait six months or a year, you get enough money, you think the rate might be good, you transfer some money over. And I would like to, you know, just slowly put that in month by month. But sometimes I catch myself, you know, adding a little bit more. In the- but yeah, in general, I would say I'd like to, I, I usually would put a specific amount each month, which is called dollar cost averaging in the mm-hmm. personal finance world. But yeah, just uh, put a specific amount each month. And then when the savings gets lower, then I start looking at my Japanese salary thinking, okay, maybe I should transfer money over, which you're losing money in the currency exchange yeah. is not always the best. So uh, as an American, we, we kind of have, we're kind of, as Americans, we, we kind of have to do that. Because yeah. Andrew, I don't know if you could tell us about how, I think you said you started up your own NISA. Was it, is that right? I did. And the banker and, and said it would be fine. It'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Start your NISA. We'd love to take your money. <laughs> so were you were you penalized when you had to go file your taxes with the IRS the next in in the US the next year? It was year? such a minuscule amount in the beginning and mm-hmm. I did when I filed my tax in the US it didn't I I, ta- I consulted with my my tax accountant and at the time I don't know if he was mistaken or what, but we just didn't report that amount. Mm-hmm. It was just a small amount. And so I, and I, st- I stopped it really quickly. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't, I've done some research online and in the different invest, you know, retired Japan forums and things like that. And I've seen some sites that say if it's only if it's over a certain amount, do you know if, could you confirm any of that or maybe you're not, maybe uh, not. I don't have a NISA account, so I don't Yeah, know. I don't have, so I've heard some of these things, like just as an example, in my case, I actually have an eDeco, okay. which is sort of like a 401k in Japan. Right. And the reason I opened it up is that I talked to my US accountant who is Japanese American and understands a lot of the Japanese side. Mm. And they initially said, oh, well, that's a certain tier of account that we don't need to report like your pension because it's through your university. Okay. Unfortunately, when we came to report, they said, we made a mistake. We're very sorry. You do have to report that on your FBAR, which is our reporting in the US for foreign accounts. Right. And so I said to them, well, you know, what is the the problem? You know, is, is so the first thing is the passive foreign investment companies, there's sort of a double taxation that can occur. That's one of the main issues. But when I talked through it with them, they actually said we would actually advise for you to continue investing in it because the tax saving you're getting on the Japanese side sort of offsets it. So it's, it's very individual. They had to look at my taxes and they, in the end said, yeah, we, we recommend that you keep putting into this and any sort of damage you're going to incur on your U.S. taxes will probably not be that bad. But they're going to, every year, they're going to take a look at it. I, you know, it's really hard for us Americans because even the experts don't really know. And that's what's so worrisome. But yeah, I think in the beginning stages, there's not much damage that's caused. But if you had hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe you're going to have that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's best to talk to, if, if you can find like what I've set up now, and this is so costly, but it's, you know, I've gotten to a point where it makes sense, where I have a Japanese CPA, I have a US CPA who's Japanese, they talk together to kind of make decisions about these things. And, but it's costly, because I have to pay for their time to do that. And so for a lot of people, it doesn't make sense. You know? Right, right. Wow. 
I, I wanted to just jump back into this. So your total sure. position right now, you have your wife's Nisa. Yes, is she correct. doing the Ideco as well, which is the 401k? She's not doing Ideco right now. And the reason for that is if it's we decided at a few years back that we were going to move back to the States. Oh, okay. And there was some things that happened. We had a loss of one of her family members and some just job situation stuff that changed. So we decided it ended up staying. But at the time when we were opening the NISA, they were saying that for an Ideco account, if you end up leaving it and mm-hmm. going back to the United States, of course, you can't contribute to it, but also that there's some kind of maintenance fee maintenance fee that would take place each year. Oh, really? You, you okay. couldn't, for an Ideco, I guess you can't, at the time, you couldn't pull it out, they said, until basically retirement age, around wow, 62, 60. without the penalty, kind of like yeah. a 401k in the States. Yeah. And so they said, if you're planning to go back to the States in the next couple of years, I would recommend the NISA because, for one, it's only five years maximum. And I'm sorry, the NISA has the five and the 20-year plan. We did the 20-year yeah. plan for her. But but regardless, I, they were saying there was less penalties and maintenance fees. Even if I wanted to leave it in there, they were saying that I would benefit more from the NISA. This is not financial advice, but that, that's yeah. what I was told at the time, okay. which is why we didn't open one. And, and what about in the States? What do you So you have a taxable account in the States, or do you have tax advantage there, which isn't no, really tax advantage. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, tax advantage accounts. I did not start any of those tax advantage accounts before coming to Japan. Mm-hmm. And as you know, living in Japan, it's kind of hard to you I at least my tax advisor in the States said, you know, if you're not making income in the States, then we can't help you get into yeah, a Roth. So, or, so one of the things that mm-hmm. sorry to cut you off there, Andrew. I, I was gonna say when when Daniel mentions tax advantaged accounts, he's mainly referring to things like the Roth IRA and the 401k. And also we have the HSA as well. But in, in general, it's just like the Roth IRA is means that you put it in pre-tax and or sorry, post-tax, and then you don't mm-hmm. pay taxes when you take it out. Whereas a 401k is is all pre-tax, and then you pay taxes when it comes out. So as Americans, we're kind of screwed in the sense that I suppose you you can actually open up a Roth IRA, but then of course you'll be taxed if you're living overseas, at least in Japan. Apparently, I just found this out recently that you will actually be taxed on any capital gains when you take that Roth IRA money out. Mm-hmm. So, so Japan taxes <laughs> yes. you. Yeah. So if you're so overseas or you, do you mean if you create it overseas? So if you're in Japan, let's say you're living in Japan, and you have your Roth IRA and you decide now I'm going to start taking distributions, Correct. it would be tax-free in the U.S., but Japan would tax you. I see. Those. Okay, yes. And vice versa. So that's right. one of the other issues. In NISA, it's tax-free to take it out in Japan, but the U.S. taxes you on it like a normal account. So, right, right. So, yeah, you don't have that issue. I mean, you don't really have an advantage. Right. From doing them, but you know, <laughs> yes, something yes. to keep in mind there. So my my most of my accounts are taxable accounts in the states, and of course I pay into Social Security in Japan. Okay. And uh, after ten years, something I recently found out, but after ten years, if you pay into Social Security, or even if you're just exempt from Social Security, and you've paid some of those years, if you have a ten year record in Social Security. Basically, you qualify for receiving it. And is this in the U.S. or Japan you're talking about? In Japan. So even if I go back to the U.S., Japan Mm -hmm. now will pay me a certain amount of that Social Security, even if I go overseas. The same amount if I was in Japan or in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's good to know. Have you? This is a question for both of you because this is something I just recently realize but have you looked into the credits that you have in social security in the united states and also how that qualifies you for medicare when you get to a certain age uh, i haven't looked into that no i have not i didn't know about the medicare qualification part do you have some information on that yeah so this was something that came up because of a friend of mine who has lived in japan a long time and he's you know he as he gets older, he developed a, a condition that makes it very difficult for him to get travel insurance to go back to the U.S. 
because you know okay. the U.S. system is not so good. And luckily, he hasn't reached the age yet, but he he realized that because he's paid into the U.S. system and he qualifies for Medicare, I think it's the same number of credits you need for Social Security, full Social Security, and Medicare. He will be able to get Medicare, so he could travel back to the United States and be on that system, especially when he retires and wants to live in both countries. And so this is something I started to think about, and I went and checked. Like you can go through Social Security and check, and it turns out that I'm about three years short of credits in the U.S. Mm. And the way that you can get those credits, and this is another person that talked to me about this, the way she did it, she worked in Japan. But you can actually decide to not take the full foreign income exemption on your full on your income in Japan, and then use that credits towards the U.S. Mm-hmm. So I don't have all the information, but I think it's it's something to think about because, like in my case, I'm I'm worried, especially with the U.S. healthcare system. Getting, you know, eventually as you get older, you get some sort of ailment that doesn't get covered. You know, you go back to the U.S., you could be bankrupt by a few weeks stay in the hospital, right? So, wow, um, yeah, for sure. Good to think about. Hmm. That might be something for another another podcast, <laughs> Daniel. If we could get, we need to get an expert, yeah, or an expert in the Medicare, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so great. So, so Andrew, you you were saying that you started off working with a baseball team back in the States. Was it the Royals that you're, you, you said you were uh, the, the mascot for the Royals or was it the minor league team? Yes. I worked for the Royals at the time when I heard about the Japan job, I worked okay, for then, a few other minor league teams before that as well. Right. And then, so that transition transitioned you into working for the Hiroshima Carp. You came over to Japan, dabbled a little bit into investing, but Mm-hmm. not very successfully. And and so we kind of fast forward, like you decided not to move back to the United States uh, with correct. your wife. And so you, you stayed in you, you stayed here in Japan. What what did you kind of transition into? Like usually the the, the norm is that a lot of the expats here are, are English teachers are what, what did you end up doing? Yes. So at that point, I was kind of after I quit the baseball team, I was in between jobs and I really quickly was able to get a job for a, a magazine company. It was a golf magazine as an editor. I wasn't a real big fan of golf, moved on quickly, started doing interpretation and translation freelance work, some English teaching. And then I landed at the company I'm at now, which is a real estate company in the Hiroshima and Okayama area. And they at first just started off as wanting me to help you know, English speakers get maybe an English website. And as a freelancer, I was very wary to accept too much work, you know, just, you know, Mm -hmm. give me a a set job and I'll I'll do it. Uh, But they really wanted me to come on full time. And so after a lot of discussion, they were, we decided that I could, I could work there while keeping some, some freelance work on the side. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's most, like 99% of our customers are for renting apartments. And then mm-hmm. we have a small division that also helps with buying and selling houses and apartments. And they do monthly apartments. They do quite a few different things. But yes, so I got involved there. And then I started, you know, making a YouTube channel, just trying to get the word out about helping you know, English speakers. Because I don't know about you, but when I first rented an apartment in Japan, there was a lot of sticker shock. The initial invest deposits that you have to pay were pretty outlandish. It's like buying a car, it felt like. And yeah, so I, there's just a lot of different things that I experienced that I was like, wow, if I could help people, you know, get through these things, you know, 60% owners in Japan say they don't want to rent to foreigners. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a lot. And they're yeah. they're not discouraged because it's not against the the law they can say i don't want to rent to foreigners or i don't want to rent to this specific type we're, of we're very stinky and loud yeah yeah it's uh, it's not unconstitutional yet and so yeah. working at this company i feel like i'm able to actually make a difference and our you know we work mostly in hiroshima but that is spilling over to lots of owners and hopefully little by little that spreads so that uh, it goes across all Japan to where one day you're not looking at a property and say, Hey, I'd like to live here. And then they say, I'm sorry, 
and this yeah. apartment's not accepting applications from foreigners. Yeah, I want to I want to go into some of these side projects you're doing. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is about real estate, because, yes, as you know, I'm really into real estate. That's most of my financial investments. So I, first of all, I wanted to know, do you own your own property in Japan and why you made that decision? And then second, I just wanted to ask if this experience working in the real estate has given you some knowledge of investing in Japan real estate wise. So first personal residence, what decision did you make there? That's a personal information I'd like to know. <laughs> I will. No, yes, I, I, I did. I did buy a property in Japan just recently, actually this year. Okay. Uh, and I'd been working for the company for a while now, but just kind of slowly learning and, and seeing lots of properties, just kind of, we were kind of semi-actively looking for the past year and a half, two years, I'd okay. say. And finally just decided on a place we liked. But uh, yeah, it definitely opened up my eyes. And I, there's a lot of, as, as you know, there's a lot of pros and cons to having real estate investments in Japan. As far as a personal home is concerned, you know, I think it's a very positive thing. And at this time, the, even the market, I, I was very surprised. You hear about market in america just going skyrocketing so high yeah. the percentage for a loan you know the rate for a loan that you have to pay on the interest is it, it's not horrible but it's lower but here in japan the interest rates are incredibly low yeah almost laughable and yeah. so having a loan in japan even as a foreigner if you you know have a lot of work experience in japan is not impossible and mm -hmm. so decided to go ahead and start with just the personal home for right now. Okay. And did you, you know, maybe we should go into the Japanese market a little bit, because if people are not from Japan, one reason that this decision can be difficult is that buying a house in general in Japan is a little bit like buying a car in another country <laughs> right. in terms of that it, usually the prices are going to decrease over time as it That's gets right. older. If you're renting it out, the rents actually decrease. There are still strategies to use, but you know, has, did that affect any of your decision? Like as you were thinking about it, that this is probably not going to be appreciating asset. It did. And it delayed us making that decision for sure, because you know, like you said, the uh, places in Japan usually don't appreciate and the rents, you can't just raise them with inflation. I had an apartment that I was renting and I knew a, a neighbor that I'd kind of made friends with who was in their late 60s or 70s and they'd been renting for 30 plus years and he told me yeah. it's rent one day. And yeah, I, it was about half of what mine was. And I said, they've never raised it on you. And he said, no. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this this happens uh, quite often. I've heard the opposite yeah. happens. People that have been renting like in the eighties when it was the boom, mm. it's very high and they never lower it either. Exactly. But as yes. soon as somebody moves out, they have to lower it. But yeah, that's an interesting, it could go the other way too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, well, it could both the land, the land that the house is built on mm -hmm. is what's going to hold value or increase in value. Mm -hmm. So Potentially, if a like, let's say that a bullet train mm -hmm. station is going to come into your into your area, that would actually raise the value of your land. But of course, your your house, the value of the house is going to depreciate the property. Yeah, the property, the structure. Yeah, yeah. The structure. structure. Yeah, exactly. As uh, as listeners may or may not know that yeah, the structures in Japan they just they're not meant to last as long, and mm -hmm. the the. the whole country's idea of, of the value of a property very quickly decreases after, you know, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like a, a place in the States that you can hang on to for 70, 80 years and just, you know, re renovate it and make it look nicer. The, the value increases, a, you know, with inflation. It's just not a thing. Yeah. We did choose a place in, and the reason we did end up purchasing a place this year was because we found this area that's kind of developing. And we were starting to see a little bit of an increase in that area of, of properties and noticed that a lot of, uh, you know, department stores and things like that were, mm -hmm. were being developed. And so we liked the convenience of it. And it just, yeah, it makes, it made sense for us. Yeah. I, I sort of lucked out with mine. We, we tried to buy smart. We bought an older 
condo right near a station. Mm-hmm. But it actually, you know, our Kusatsu, where I live in Shiga, is one of the fastest growing towns in Japan. Oh, and wow. I, and so my value, while it's not great in America, I've had it for like seven years, it's gone up from about $180,000 apartment to two hundred and ten. Mm, so the value has gone up and i'm over 20 years old on this apartment wow so it's possible for it to go up but it's just you know it's never guaranteed though (laughs) yeah right right yeah very cool yeah awesome so so when andrew so you started working for the for this this real estate company you you mentioned in our talk earlier that you started a couple of YouTube channels is like a, is this like a side project or is this something that you wanted to go as like full time? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of both. My, the company I work for just wants me to promote Hiroshima. They want me to promote okay. the city. They want me to promote Okayama, uh, you know, real estate in general and show, you know, English speakers that it, it can be done if you, you know, you want to move, to somewhere, even just to rent, you know, the, the stigma is that it's just not possible for a lot of people. Um, yeah. So just showing the steps of how that I, I have a work related channel. And then also just recently this year I started, you can see in my name, probably the JPN financial guy. And also there's a JPN real estate guy. And so I'm not an expert on the subject, as you can tell, probably from our talk today. But, you know, if I am on the scale of one to 10, if I'm a, let's say a six or a seven, I'm sure there's a lot of one to fives out there that I can maybe help with some of the things I've learned along the way. So yeah, the company's encouraged me to just to, to reach out to people and to do my own thing. So with these channels, the goal is to just get more financial education information out there to get more real estate information out there. And of course, the company hopes that it will attract more people to want to rent or stay in Japan longer because more than just Mm -hmm. making money off of people renting and buying and selling, of course, that is a good thing for the company. They want people to like Japan and stay in Japan longer. And if a foreign resident, if an expat who finds out about how they can do fire through your podcast, if they realize, okay, I can actually, you know, plant some roots here that really helps the economy that really helps, you know, our business because yeah. our business is about helping people with their lifestyle. So that's yeah. what well, we, we can need. We need people the... in Japan, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's uh, the problem. Populations. Um, we can definitely put some of those uh, in the show notes for your, all the links to your YouTube channels and, yeah. and the link to your, your real estate, the real estate company that you're working for. For Thanks. sure. Yeah. That'd be great. And, and also, I, I know that you you actually have some other endeavors as well. Like I, you you uh, shared with us on our Facebook page, you're, you're making this really interesting mm. English teaching course online. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So about two years ago, before the pandemic hit, my partner who I work with, we decided, you know, we were we were both English teachers before. And we really wanted to make some kind of fun online course. We, we were both teaching kind of on the side as well as doing the real estate job. Just have, you know, had some of our own students. And we realized how busy it, you know, our main job is and going to teach people and how much we enjoyed it. But at the same time, we couldn't increase our students. And, yeah. you know, there's this ceiling. So as far as, uh, you know, just following lots of people like Tim Ferriss. I love his podcast and his books, but I was really inspired by him and some other people as well to try to start something that could bring in some passive income. And, you know, in order to do that, I can't just keep teaching people one-on-one, you know, it would continue, I know, uh, forever. And I couldn't increase my students, I realized. So we made this online course and it all just started off as, as a for fun thing where we were filming some skits And so we end up making an entire love comedy movie and we get in way over our heads. So this was about two years ago where the idea started and the actual first pilot video was probably about a year and a half ago. But up until, yeah, just even this month, we're right at the point we're about to finish this entire love comedy movie. And then mm-hmm. lessons that go with about 80 little pieces of that movie. 
So you watch a tiny portion of the movie and then you get a lesson. And uh-huh. then and it's all done online through a platform, just like maybe a university would use where you go on, you study the online lesson, and then mm-hmm. you have some questions and notes. And then you can follow up in the comment section with the teacher. You know, we have like a, a community Facebook group for members. And so, yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. And yeah. it's just, I, I have no idea if it's going to work or not, but I really enjoyed the process and learning yeah. how to kind of, you know, you have to learn how to be a business. You have to learn how to market. You have mm-hmm. to learn how to work together with other people. So yeah, it's been a really good experience and almost two years now. So we're hopefully yeah. launch. Wow, that's awesome. In 2022. And the production quality is incredible. I mean, I I watched through, I looked through some of the videos. It's just, it's it's great. Oh, thanks. And I, I I think that's one key I hear from your story in general is that a lot of people think about investing, about investing money or investing in assets. But one thing that you've continually done throughout your process is invest in yourself in developing your skills. You know, starting with Japanese. Like I've been in Japan for fifteen years. I can speak Japanese, but I've heard you speak Japanese. It's far better than me. And I could definitely not do translation interpretation. You know, I, I muddle through, but you really put the effort in to, to gain a high level of skill in that. And then, you know, developing these skills, as you said, as you develop businesses, I think that's a really good thing to take away because that in the future is going to pay back probably even more than just investing money. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And that yeah, that's just I think I really anyone who's looking for a book, the Tim Ferriss for our work, yeah. be prepared. It's he, 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 when did he write this? Like in the late 90s or early 2000s? No, it was, I would say it was 15 years ago. It's got to be 15. Okay. Is it? Yeah, 2005, six, but it's still very, he was very yeah. ahead of his time. Definitely. Just talking about even remote work and how to invest in yourself. Um, but yeah, that, that was the inspiration that really I wish would have hit me 15 years ago, but uh, yeah, here we are. And uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the, the biggest thing for most people is that they have these great, everyone has great ideas and everyone has mm-hmm. dreams, but in order, you, you never know if it could work out. And so for me, I'm okay with spending this time and learning and growing myself. And if the business itself is is a flop or if it doesn't mm-hmm. work out as well as I thought it might, that's okay. I still think it will overlap into the other things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just really, uh, really excited for this project. It's called Skill Hunter. So Hunter. the original idea was to make uh, a platform where yeah. we could collaborate. As you, you pointed out the video, we really like making videos. And so eventually we wanted to, after the success of the English course, reach out to influencers and help mm-hmm. them develop these courses to help oh, okay. their own income streams. Mm-hmm. And then it would be kind of like a Udemy or a... Or yeah. And become more passive for you, which is definitely right. what I would be looking for. Oh man. Yeah. We made a two hour movie. I, I don't recommend starting off big if you're ever going to try a project make a sample yeah <laughs> and yeah and tim Ferriss talks style. about that right like he talks about kind of doing little beginning what's the, I, I forgot what he calls it but you sort of lo- do these mini launches mini maybe launch. even of a fake product right right where you don't right. even have the product yet but you you throw the idea out and see if people actually want it exactly um, yeah yeah so really interesting yeah very cool yeah, so great. So Andrew, can you kind of tell us as we're we're getting ready to kind of wrap things up here, but moving forward, like you I I really like your story about your your timeline of going from the states to Japan here. But what really keeps you motivated to kind of keep going where you're like even if something like you said it was a 2-hour long movie is so much that you put into it, you said kind of even if it flops whatever, you know, you you've got this sort of positive you got a very positive mindset. I I can tell but what really keeps you motivated to to keep going here? Yes, I I just think and a lot of people might say it's just luck of the draw. Like I had some really interesting jobs, but I know that some of the things that I've done have created those opportunities. And so I guess the thing, your question, what keeps me going is like, I know that if I try to develop some more skills and if i try to do this new project and this new business even if everything doesn't work out it's going to create more opportunities and so i've had some very wonderful blessings in the beginning with 
the opportunity to just come to Japan in general. But even that, like it, it, it goes back to the, some of the things that I, uh, you know, I worked on in the in the states, and so I'm not. It, it, there is a luck factor involved with some of these things working out, but I think most of it is just diversifying just the things that I like to do and that I enjoy. And I really enjoy learning right now about personal finance, which is why you know I'm doing these YouTube channels. I like learning about passive income. It hasn't. I wasn't able to bring it up yet, but you know, I made a reaction channel, a reaction uh -huh. YouTube channel, oh. and it it got monetized in like four or five months, and it, it that awesome. that's a whole different story. But like, I wasn't going to do it because I know the time that it takes to make YouTube videos. But at the same time, I wanted to try. I wanted to mm -hmm. see what would happen, and uh, you know, it, it's it's pulling in like. 30 40 dollars a month but it's still mm. it's something that i said wow i did this and now i can decide if i want to keep going or not so i guess the thing that keeps me going is trying new things and learning new things has always been scary but if you just give it a shot i i think that you you can see okay this didn't work out for me or oh this mm -hmm. this really worked out and it really helps me moving forward and the same goes with investments you know the you want to you want to be diversified <laughs> yeah <laughs> and trying new things can be dangerous so it's always good like you said with the course even making that mini launch you know just just mm -hmm. getting your toes barely in the water and learning from others as much as you can and having yeah. fun so that's that's what keeps me going wow this has been great yeah i love it man good job yeah thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story yeah this is great. You guys doing this podcast is amazing. Like I've been looking for for stuff like this. So I'm excited to see you guys grow and you got a cheerleader on the sidelines. So I'll, great. I'll be doing what yeah. I can to help. And we can have you on again to update on your story as things go. So I'm yes. sure everybody would like to hear about that. Awesome. That'd be wonderful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Andrew. So I just want to say also, that's that's an awesome story. Thank you so much for coming on here. And we look forward to having you on again here in the future as, as your story progresses. Thanks so much. Yeah. And I look forward to hearing, I know a lot of the, the podcasts, you know, interviewing people and learning a lot more about other people, but I love to hear more about your guys' stories as well. And we'll be, I'll be following you guys along your journey. So don't, Great. don't be shy. Share, share lots of your own stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. We have that awesome. planned. All okay. right. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and end this stream. So everyone with the Expat Fire Club, thank you very much for joining us. And please do check down in the show notes for some of Andrew's links as well. So thanks a lot, you guys. And we'll see you all in the next one. Okay. All right. See, see you ya. later. Bye.